Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we're the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are. We are. We are. Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. That's right. Mm. That is right. Not left. <laughs> Not, well, two, was it two? Two wrongs don't make a right, but three lefts do. And two lefts make a podcast together. I don't know what that means. And I, I don't know. Anyway, this is our podcast. That's uh, that's right. This is our podcast. We talk about video games on it. We do and talk about video games. Zach, what have you been recently been playing? Seth, recently I've been playing a game called Sonic Mega Mix. Aren't you always playing Sonic games? I am always playing Sonic games. Well, Sonic's 30th birthday is coming up, so... Oh, jeez. Yeah, he's an old man. He's old man Sonic now. Um, He's got gray hair. Sonic's first game was on the Master System, though, right? Nope, first game was on the Genesis. But there is a game of Sonic on the Master yep, System. Yep, it's a demake. They they demade it for the Master System because the Master System was selling better in other countries besides the United States. So they wanted to have a Sonic game on it. So they just kind of demade the first game. So I probably played Sonic or have been playing Sonic games the entirety of Sonic's life. For as Sonic's been growing up, he's been looking up and he's been seeing my eyes. Sonic has been watching you. He's been no, I've been watching Sonic. You've been standing in Sonic's corner. <laughs> anyway, Sonic Mega Mix is a hack of Sonic 1. We actually briefly talked about it in our episode where we did talk about hacks and mods and such. It's a hack of Sonic 1 made by Team Mega Mix. Team Mega Mix consists of 12 hackers, including some of the well-known ones are DRX, who is heavily involved in the Sonic prototype preservation scene, Marky Jester, who's known for making kind of bizarre and weird hacks, and Stealth, who went on to work on Sonic Mania. The project began originally in 2005, and the most recent build of the game is 2008. That version that I've that is the one I've been playing is for the Sega CD. Uh, now, I don't own a Sega CD, so I have been using an emulator, but it is able to be run on a Sega CD if you just burn a copy of the game. Megamix is a quick-paced version of the original Sonic uh, in the sense that it, it's just much faster than the original Sonic, which Sonic is a fast game, but this certainly amps up the speed. Uh, you have a ton of new moves, such as a light dash and a homing attack, and there's also a variety of new characters, not new to the franchise, but new to the game. So you can play as Mighty the Armadillo, Knuckles, Tails, and Shadow. So it's a wide variety of characters. Each have their own move set. Um, so a lot of fun. It does it does sound like fun? I, there's a there's so much Sonic stuff out there nowadays. A little too much. Yeah. A little too much. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that's just my general opinion of everything. There's just way too much content. And... Uh, so Seth, what have you been playing? Uh, recently I have been playing Tiny Toon Adventures: Buster Busts Loose. Oh. This is a uh, a game that was released on the SNES in North America markets in 1993 and was developed and published by Konami, which is a fun company that makes some pretty good games. Buster Bust Loose is an action platformer that is set in the Tiny Toon mythos. You play as I think he plays Buster the entire time. Who is the like child version of Bugs, which is Bugs Bunny, which is a, a cartoon. Yes, 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 he is. There are six levels in the game. There is also three different settings. Uh, there is the normal and hard settings, and there is also a child setting. I think I actually have to play on the child setting because I've been playing on normal, and the game is tough. There's six levels, and I haven't gotten past the second part of the second stage, though the first level you you play as um you play as buster and you're in the school and the boss of the level is uh taz no dizzy okay dizzy who's the child of or the baby Tasmanian devil. There's Dizzy Devil, and you have to like feed him food to stop him from eating the food. Okay. Which I, f I feel like just defeats the ultimate purpose, but I guess that's how you fight him, is you, you give him the food on conveyor belts. And then the next level is a Hollywood set in the desert, and you have to chase Montana Max, who is a, an evil rich kid from stealing things. Uh, so it's it's fun there's um like a dash and a jump mechanic i really like the sound like the the soundtrack and i really like the graphics i think the graphics are they really are true kind of poppy cartoony graphics and i think it really plays well to the whole tiny tunes ip 
Uh-huh. And the sound effects and the music that accompanies it is really just makes it feel like you're playing a, an episode of the show. Uh, so I'm going to get back into it to try and beat it. But uh, I am also very bad at video games. But that's what I've been playing recently is I've been I've been I've dusted off a, a couple of older uh, SNES and Sega Genesis games. And I've been playing those recently through methods and um, <laughs> I've been having some fun time with those so expect for future episodes to have games in the past which i guess we are classic gaming brothers so it's expected we are that. the classic gaming brothers on occasion we play old games yeah that's right in any case all right perfect today we're going to be talking about a company that is near and dear to our hearts well at least seth's heart uh, i didn't actually play a lot of their games growing up but seth did and and I vicariously lived through him by watching him play those games. So um, the games we're going to be talking about are the games made by Impressions, which they are well known for making city builder games. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about what that means, but um, to provide a quick summary, city builders are titles that you build cities, as the name implies. Um, similar to something like SimCity. But we'll get more into that and how Impressions does their games. Starting off, we'll talk a little bit about the history of Impressions. They were founded in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1989 by David Lester, and they worked on various titles for systems like the Atari and Amiga. Uh, They never really hit their stride initially, but they, they did find it when it came to historical strategy city builders. During their time developing games, they created about 40 six games um, as a development studio and published another 12 games in the beginning they also developed and published their own games in 1995 david lester sold the company to sierra online which we did a whole episode on back in episode 35 and sierra online was then bought by a couple of companies along the way ascendant and eventually vervendi universal and unfortunately when it came to a part in time when vivendi started to declare bankruptcy and sell off a number of their properties impressions was a studio that ended up getting closed so there is a sad story with impressions where they were really one of sierra's more successful development houses and uh I did also some research. At one point in time, Impressions, the development house, and Blizzard, the development house, were both owned by Vivendi Universal. And it was in 1998, Impressions Games was the most profitable division of Vivendi Universal, which was at the time um, known as Havas Interactive, where it made $20 million in net profit against another competing division of Blizzard Entertainment. Which is, I think, just fun to think that these city building games and the other games and impressions catalogs were doing more success. Well, were more successful for the division than like your like StarCraft and Warcrafts. Mm. So some other big games that impressions worked on were like the Lords of the Realm and Lords of Magic series. Um, they also worked on games such as like Spacebox and they worked on some casino games. Uh, they, they had a, like a pretty wide diversity in regards to games. Uh, they also did some like historical war strategy games as well as the historical city builders. So this particular episode will be really dominated on their city building series and then maybe we'll go over some of their other games in their catalogs at a later time so this is really just kind of about city building by impressions games so what exactly is a city building game and how does that differ from like say sim city so sim city which was a city management game that was released in 1989 which probably deserves its own episode put you in the control of the mayor of a modern city and is also very much more working as a modern city and the way some city would play is you would zone things so you would build the various infrastructure in the city however if you wanted to have a residential or an industrial zone you would build the you would zone out that area so you would just highlight the the amount of grids that you would want that zone to be in and things would populate into that area however in 
the city building and impressions, it was done on a much more micro scale. It was also done in a historical view. So not only did you have to build the streets and the important kind of key buildings like ancient equivalents to hospitals and government buildings, but you also had to build everyone's house <laughs> like you had to make sure that everything was built and you had to build your factories and your your supply chains and it was very much more of a zoomed in picture of a particular city it was also unlike it being in modern day they were all really tailored around a historical view and with it being around a historical view you had to also make sure that you were accounting for how in history things would be made and how you could bring those goods to your city. Each of the games that Impressions made were very similar in structure. You built buildings, these buildings created walkers, and these walkers would walk around the town. And now these walkers would either have a purpose or they would be kind of just like transient and just kind of roam. So if they were a purpose-driven walker, they would maybe be bringing a good to another good and they'd be like, a cart pusher. Um, they could have also been like a transient person who maybe worked at the temple and just kind of roamed around their nearby associated building or like an architect. However, they would roam, but they would always roam within the a certain radius of their buildings. They wouldn't just like go real deep into the city. If you made your city too complex with too many roads, you had to account for that because they also would just roam completely in the wrong direction for entirely too long. That would have it make it so the entire city got downgraded because they were lost. You would also, a big portion of the game was essentially controlling supply chain. So you would start your supply chain at some level of raw creation, be it a farm, a mine, even like fisheries eventually in certain games. You'd have it where there was a raw resource being pulled up reeds in uh, Pharaoh, for example. And then that raw material would get shipped back to warehouses that you had in your city and then kind of like a more refinement group would grab it and make a upgraded product so you can make papyrus pottery beer all based on your raw goods you also then had to keep it those finished goods stored as well and you would have to balance kind of making sure that you were storing enough for exporting you were storing enough for distribution and you were storing enough to have for kind of like a stockpile in case something happens uh, during your supply chain, which trust me, something probably would happen. And then the population of the city was all capped based on housing units. And in the beginning of the games, you would physically put out what houses needed to be there. Eventually in later games, you could just kind of drag where the housing should be, kind of like zoning in SimCity, but very much more direct and only in regards to housing. And what you would also have to do is you would have to make sure your housing was near workers. So if there was a mine, for example, you needed to have houses near that mine. And in order for that mine not to break down, you would need to have like an architect and a fire department and maybe even a police officer over in that section of the city. And what would end up happening is you would create essentially nice sections of the city and really poor sections of the city and you would have this like disparity because you would have the section of the city that would get all the services and be kind of like your goal setter so you maybe you would need to upgrade a certain number of houses so you would have all these houses that you work on upgrading but you would need to have people still staff your mine and the people that live were maybe too far away from the mines so you would have like this like really cruddy section of your city that would never get upgraded and would barely have any functions. And it was really kind of interesting, especially as a child playing the game, that I was kind of like being like, oh, all these people over here, they don't deserve certain services because they don't live in the nice section of town, which I think is just kind of a commentary on life in general. <laughs> now, in most missions of all of the games, you are working for some sort of higher power, be that you're the council in Rome or perhaps a, a pharaoh in, in the Egyptian version of the of the city building game. You're, you're kind of always working for somebody and you would be occasionally asked to not only produce supplies for your city but you may also have to fulfill requests for your either your neighboring cities or your even your leader and if you don't accomplish those additional asks you could lose favor with either your leader or the other city and perhaps even like your boss and they may go to war against you they get bad you lose uh, scores so it was kind of sometimes you were like i 
I remember playing the game where I, I was like, I needed a certain amount of clay or something. I had no way to make clay, but the Pharaoh kept asking for clay. So then I was just like importing clay. I was like, why am I the middleman? I'm like, I'm importing clay to give to Pharaoh. Like I'm bringing it in. I'm putting it in my warehouse and then Pharaoh's coming in and taking it. And I was like, that's that's fair. But it's, it's sometimes that's how the game worked. It just is it really pushed you in regards to getting these objectives done. And as well as trying to just keep your city functioning. Now, there since it was also historical, there was also um, usually different paths in the game that you could take either a military or peaceful in the military you would have campaigns and you would have to have people that possibly might invade you or you would go and invade them or fight barbarians and there was also peaceful where there were no attacks so you could just play if you wanted to just concentrate on the civic portion of the game you could do that if you wanted to concentrate on the military and the civic portion to give an additional challenge you could go down that path so there was uh, usually a branching path of the stories and scenarios that you could play to accomplish these uh, so all while you kind of are balancing uh, in all the games imports exports taxes population distribution of goods and services crime health fire building decay and maintaining an active military so there's just a, a lot going on and, and the people will generally in the city tell you what's wrong with your city pretty flippantly and in Pharaoh, I specifically, I remember they would tell you in sing-songy rhyme, which was always uh, in a fun aspect when they would uh, tell you that they were kicked out of their home through no fault of their own. I've been kicked out of my home and through no fault of my own. Now, the first uh, impression city builder game was Caesar. Now, this was originally released in 1992 on the Amiga, and then was ported in 1993 over to the Atari ST, uh, the PC, and the Mac. Now, the Amiga, the Atari ST, PC, uh, obviously the PC and the Mac are different computer systems. So was the Amiga and the Atari ST. So the Amiga was a Commodore PC, and the Atari was an Atari PC. Uh, now, Caesar really popularized the micromanagement of city building and really had people thinking about games as like at the the quote came up in our research called a think 'em up instead of a shoot 'em up which I thought was I just really enjoyed that kind of thought it's kind of a thought process where playing a game could be fun and a little educational at the same time so in like Caesar you learn about Roman history you know, you learn about the aqueducts, you learn about um, how the Romans may have had their structured, how they were structured politically. Um, there was good information regarding like what the Romans would use, how they would make their armor, because you would have to, if you wanted to give weapons to your soldiers, you would have to make said weapons. And so it was kind of interesting that it kind of blended that entertainment along with the education without really selling it as an educational game it was decidedly a, like a strategy game it was a, a think em up so it was sold for people to who enjoyed that type of game and it just had an educational component and i remember because of my real love of playing caesar and pharaoh during uh, school at, i was able to give facts that were correct to the teacher and the teacher would say, like, how do you know this so much about Egypt culture or, or Roman culture? I said, well, I play this game. It's called Caesar. It's just like, and that's where I learned it. And it's all, it was mostly accurate. There was no, and we'll, we'll get into where the inaccuracies kind of lie. But then, of course, they were all video games at the end of the day. So, like, the particular way that the cities were built and stuff like that through the strategy game weren't necessarily accurate to how it was built. But the core information that they gave you in regarding their culture and stuff like that was all pretty accurate historically. Now, what was interesting was because you there was SimCity was in 1989, Caesar coming out 92, there was it's kind of like people wonder, you know, like what what's the difference kind of thing. So Impressions was also, they had some other tactical games under their belt. And in the original release of Caesar, you wouldn't handle the actual battles. Um, you would need to handle all the other aspects of warfare. So you would have to handle the funding of the armies, the billeting of the armies, which is housing them, the provisions of the armies, and maintaining roads so the troops could walk on to go in and, and fight 
Barbarians. Now, another game that Impressions worked on was a game called Cohort 2, and they released it around the same time of Caesar, and it was a Roman themed battle simulator, similar to uh, Command and Conquer or a, a game called Fields of Glory, which was a, uh, a a Napoleonic war simulator game. And these these games were more simulator simulating of battles versus simulating the city. Now, Cohort 2 had a feature that allowed anyone who owned the original Caesar to take their saved games and import them into Cohort 2 to play the battles out themselves if they wanted to see how they would have done against the barbarians they could build out their army save the game import it into cohort 2 and actually play it out and it's cool cohort 2 is kind of fun it's got very very um basic kind of cartoony graphics in regards to how the armies look very like 8-bit sprite kind of graphics and in 1993 impressions released caesar deluxe the game came with cohort 2 built into it so when you engaged in battle in caesar deluxe the game would actually go automatically to the Cohort 2 battle and you would control the battle and you would fight and then you would be resolved in the Cohort 2 system and then you'd go back to your Caesar Deluxe version. And that's the, the, the edition that we owned was the Caesar Deluxe edition. So the also the underlying gameplay feature of Caesars was built around really replicating what it would be like to run an ancient Roman city versus a modern day city like SimCity. SimCity would get historical overlays, but would always remain to be overlays. They wouldn't get like changes to the actual game where Caesar's entire gameplay was really based around running a Roman, ancient Roman uh, city. And it involved, you had, I always really, really, really enjoyed the advisors. So all the impressions games, you always get these advisors and you, they give you information regarding like how your city's doing uh, culturally, how's it doing like economically, how's it, you know, how's the imports and the exports going, what, how's the employment going. And you're, you're always constantly flipping through all these tabs to be like watching your population grow on charts. It's very much a, a game for the nerds, I would say. If if you like charts and graphs and watching like year over year trends of how your population's ebbing and flowing, you can you get that with with uh, with Caesar and the the other impression games. Now Caesar would do well throughout this time. So impressions really released these games after game after game. So there was when it came to sales, it it kind of all mixes and mingles together because over the span from '92 to 2001, they released a lot of city builds that we're going to go through and you'll see like we we're going to talk about a lot of city builders in this episode and they released these all between 92 and 2001 however caesar's combined sales with caesar 2 surpassed about 400,000 units by March of 1996 and was fairly received pretty well at the time. So obviously Impressions is like gold mine. Let's just keep making these. And uh, what? so what comes after Caesar, Zach? Well, the obvious thing that comes after Caesar is Caesar 2, which as the name implies is the follow-up to Caesar. <laughs> so Caesar 2 came out for MS-DOS and Windows in 1995 and was soon ported over to Macintosh in 1996. The game plays similarly to the first game with obviously some updates in terms of graphics and other gameplay tweaks in that you are maintaining a Roman province. In the beginning of the game you actually are in the early days of the Roman Empire with it reaching no further than Italy and as the game progresses you begin colonizing adjacent provinces by quote-unquote civilizing the barbarians in the area which you know just conquering civilizations that weren't romans while this is happening you have a computer rival who is also completing missions and attempting to block you from expanding in the game the province and city you operate are separate spheres as they as you were so is your military so they're all done kind of on separate levels of gameplay you also build different types of facilities and such on different maps so on uh for mines and farms you're building that on one type of map for houses fire stations bathhouses etc you're building that on another type of map so the game really divides up the gameplay into different structures and such so that you are essentially kind of spread out um, a bit. You have, you know, your province that you have to take care of and 
you know, mines the neighboring provinces that are attacking you. And right. then you also have the city that you're trying to maintain and and focus on the well-being of the people in it. I remember that in Caesar 2. I also remember that you still need basics in all of the cities, though. Yes, yes, you do. So, like, some cities may only be, have the ability to have mines built in them, but you still needed to, like, make sure that those houses didn't fall down. Right, exactly. Now, major factors in both city and province building are uh, housing values, types of housing, unemployment and labor shortages, taxes, wages, deficits, food shortages, military readiness, and morale. I mean, that that's, that's all fairly complex sounding stuff, but the game does it in a way so that you're both learning how to do these things, but also enjoying doing these things. And people did enjoy doing these things. In, in fact, the game did exceptionally well, with most reviews ranking it around four out of five stars in most magazines at the time. And the game actually sold around 2.5 million units worldwide over the course of a few years, which those are great sales numbers for a game of of this complexity and to be honest like if you want to crack into playing through all of the impression city builders for some reason i definitely recommend uh caesar 2 is actually not a bad place to start um caesar 2 holds up pretty well uh caesar 3 holds up better but i think i i really like the caesar 2 to caesar 3 though that kind of like that vibe was really kind of my jam uh, Caesar 1 is a little tough to get into, mostly because they move from Caesar 1 being top-down to Caesar 2 and all future iterations to being isometric, which is crucial in regards to um, just how the city looks. It looks so much better in an isometric view than like a top-down view. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just a general. Things just tend to look nicer in isometric <laughs> Now, Caesar 2 did also very well. I mean, it, it sold around 2.5 million. So, with success comes great sequels. And that gives us Caesar 3. Caesar 3 came out in 1998 for Microsoft Windows and Mac OS. Uh, Caesar 3, originally released in 1998. Um, and there was a Macintosh version as well. Uh, the game puts you in the role of a roman governor tasked with building a roman city as within the previous games you are looking to ensure your citizens have their needs and desires met and that the city is safe and most importantly profitable <laughs> it's because, always the most important reason yeah, you can't build more city without money you also have to be careful not to upset the gods because if you upset the gods bad things might happen to you you also have to be careful not to upset your enemies because if you upset your enemies you're probably going to get invaded. In Caesar 3, players have access to an empire map, which can be used to set up trade with other Roman cities, depending on the campaign that you're playing. It also allows you to keep track of invasions from hostile forces. In the game, there was a peaceful campaign, along with a standard military campaign. In the peaceful campaign, you don't have to worry about invaders, but you are still at the risk of running into fires, earthquakes, or other natural disasters. Because even in times of peace, there was always natural disasters. Another thing that was available was the game's editor, which was uh, released a little bit after the game's release. The editor allowed players to craft their own scenarios and allowed them to choose the identity of the invaders that were to attack them. The game was a massive success, with its first month reaching 150,000 copies sold and quickly taking 10th place in peace. Data Magazine's weekly computer sales rankings of October of 1998. Overall, it's estimated that another 2.5 million units were sold of the game in total, um, which pretty much right on par with Caesar 2. It also was very well received, with most magazines giving it strong praise for the level of immersion. As all games, Caesar 1, 2, and 3, something that I think should be stressed is that these games were incredibly detailed in terms of authenticity to the structure of roman society so yes i mean things were probably slightly altered so that they can be more understandable from a you know layman's perspective but the way that the structure of the societies that you were building worked was really based very closely on the records we have of how roman societies actually ran during those time periods, which thankfully the Romans were very good at keeping records. So we do have a lot of records from that time period. There was also a fourth Caesar uh, because 
the game did really, really well. But the fourth Caesar game, we'll talk about a little later. It's a little different. However, on October 31st, 1999, Impressions decided it's time to leave Rome and go to Egypt. Using the same engine that the previous City Builder game, Caesar 3, used, Pharaoh was released. Pharaoh, as the name suggests, is the first game in the Impression City Builder series to be set outside of ancient Rome, since it doesn't say Caesar in it. Uh, the game has been changed around to reflect ancient Egyptian life, including what goods and services were available during this corresponding time, and appropriate pharaohs. Uh, historical pharaohs names are used throughout the game along with um, what certain technology is during the benchmark because you play through the different um, dynastic periods of the pharaohs in with the expansion pack ending with the Hellenistic age but you play through the different um, eras of the pharaohs as you play through the timelines of the old kingdom the new kingdom or the old kingdom the middle kingdom and the new kingdom and then eventually getting the hellenistic period of time with the expansion the technology progresses in the game along with you so you start by building like simple monuments made of like mud and eventually migrate to building the full-on pyramids and the sphinx and stuff like that throughout the game you play as uh what i would like to refer to as an employee of pharaoh you you work for pharaoh um and you tend to just do like you tend to run <laughs> essentially pharaoh gives you a street and he's like build a city here and you're you you're given a a blank slate and you build your city up and then once the city once it's done the scenario is over and you move on to your next blank slate and that's generally how it's structured in caesar as well um so pharaoh keeps that kind of structure of you don't really roll your city into the next type of like you don't keep your city you just build another one now you eventually become pharaoh yourself which is great uh however you spend a majority of your time if not almost all of it working for pharaoh the the gameplay itself is a departure from Caesar 3 because it even starts with where you can designate housing instead of putting the houses there yourself. So you can actually just drag where you want houses to go and people kind of fill it in. And the game was unique from Caesar 3 as certain aspects of the performance scores were changed to reflect a more Egyptian style. Uh, so instead of having favor, you have kingdom. And instead of having um, peace, you have Monument. As Pharaoh takes a, an interesting take because you work for Pharaoh. And so thus you ultimately, a little different from Greek and even a little bit from Roman times, where they were more of like city-states that could kind of do things on their own. However, in Pharaoh, you, you worked for the divine representation of Pharaoh. So, and so did everybody else in Egypt. So the people you fight with are generally people from outside of Egypt because you wouldn't really internally fight. So your enemies are either like Phoenicians or you are fighting Pharaoh because he is mad at you and wants to kill you so keep your kingdom score high though the other scores like population prosperity and culture re remain from caesar 3 and these goals you could see and they're fun because they make like little columns and in caesar they even make little columns and the higher the score the bigger the column which i always i always enjoyed as a child now part of my favorite change from caesar 3 to pharaoh is how you have to use the nile so in Egypt, there is a river and it's called the Nile. It is a large river and it's been there for quite some time. And the Egyptian culture would have farms in the very fertile, muddy lands around the Nile. And in the game, there's a time period where you where there's the fertile land is exposed and you can place farms down. And then there's an off season where the um the river flows up and all of the farmlands that were created are destroyed fortunately when the when the the waters ebb again the like roads and farms that you've built there are not like completely destroyed they were just deactivated however if you didn't have enough warehouses to store your grains any cart pusher who is left in the fields is gone forever along with all the grains that they had which is very sad I just don't know why they don't push that cart right out of the slow tide of the Nile. Yeah, right. And so there is a kind of a a different mechanic in regards to the supply chain, since farms in Caesar could just be run pretty much all the time, right? You just have fertile land, you would plant, and then you'd harvest, and then you'd deliver the goods, and you'd start again. Pharaoh, you had to, you got one one planting, one harvest, 
and then then you could be months where there's no water where oh, there's too much water and you wouldn't be able to farm so you would have to have enough warehouses and granary spots to take in the harvest and to also be able to distribute the harvest out and have enough to keep it so that your people weren't hungry. Because Pharaoh, and I think this happened in Caesar and Zeus as well, had this thing where you had to distribute all of these goods to your people. And that happened by having like people who ran uh, either marketplaces, bazaars, agoras, and they would go and they would collect product back to their bazaar agora, and then they would distribute it throughout the city. And they had a habit of taking everything that they needed from your granary or warehouses. So then if they took everything, you would have no food. And then all of your people would complain that they're hungry because the food was distributed to your citizens, which I always was like, but everyone's got food. But no, the walkers on the street would still be mad that there was no food in the actual granary. So you always had to hold a little bit back so that they weren't mad. Also, Nile did ebb back and the farms would reveal themselves again. You wouldn't necessarily be guaranteed to have fertile ground in all of those farms. You would have a better chance if you made sure that you prayed to the appropriate gods. There were five gods within Pharaoh. There was Ra, who was the god of the kingdom. I know he's the sun god in, in history, but in the Pharaoh game, he represented the kingdom. There was Bast, who represented the home. Osiris, who represented agriculture. Ta, who represented industry. And Seth, who represented warfare. It's you. That's me. Is it Seth or Set? In this game, it's Seth. Wow. Sometimes he is Seth. Sometimes he is Seth. These five gods have those representation because if you pray to them, they would give you benefits to those various things. So if you pray to Seth, your warfare would go well. If you pray to Osiris, you may have a good harvest. Now, you also had to balance them, and you would also have it where there was essentially two tiers of gods. So there would be a patron god that would be usually the god that your pharaoh worshipped and would require that you would also worship them. And then you would have your local gods, who I guess were the gods that were just like palling around town. And they also wanted to be worshipped. You had to build temples and have festivals for each of the gods and have them appropriately. Uh, however, if you worshipped one too much you could anger the other god so like if you had way too many temples dedicated to the patron god or way too many temples dedicated to a local god the other gods would get angry and angering the gods and worshiping the gods in this game gave you a mechanical advantage or disadvantage so if you angered osiris enough you could just not have a harvest and that could screw you because then you would have any food coming in and then your entire city will just collapse because then the population goes, then jobs aren't filled, then buildings just get destroyed and fires start and then, then your entire city is just underwater in like two months, which happens in these games. I feel like these games, every single one, I feel like each city is just like one bad consequence from just utterly collapsing, which might be just because the way I play. So Pharaoh would also continue to employ the strategic element with players being able to create infantry, archers, and chariots, and new to Pharaoh, ships. So you could have ship combats. And so you would still have the military aspect of the game as well as the civic aspect of the game. Pharaoh, I would have to say out of all of the impressions games, uh, Pharaoh is probably the one that's closest to my heart. Um, Pharaoh represents my favorite historical culture i really like the egyptian culture and the egyptian like the ancient egyptian um, mythos i i really really enjoyed pharaoh as um a game as a kid and it really stuck with me um part of the things that really stuck with me to this day were the soundtrack i really really enjoyed the soundtrack of pharaoh the music is just great i love it it's just uh so inspiring to me and really just is super nostalgic. I also really enjoyed that all the walkers would talk in rhyme in Pharaoh. I think it's Pharaoh's the only one that I think they do all talk in rhyme. They all, every single statement's in rhyme, like a sing-songy rhyming voice. And it's just great. I really enjoy it. So that it's just Pharaoh, just the, the color palette, the inclusion of monument building, the whole Egyptian motif is just all of it's just 
Oh, chef's kiss. I think also the talking about monuments briefly, uh, Pharaoh was the first game in the Impression series to have a slow build to a monument and where you would have to build a pyramid and you would have to collect all of the limestone needed to build the pyramid. And I'm talking about hundreds of pieces of limestone to build this pyramid. And you would have to have workers who would then, they would be farmers when the Nile was uh, ebbed and then they would be workers to build the pyramids when there was no farms to sow. So it was a uh, an interesting, I really enjoyed the entire, um, that monument building as it really made some impressive buildings for that time, especially coming from Caesar three. So playing Caesar three and then going to play Pharaoh, you're like, wow, like these pyramids are awesome. You can build pyramids um, in, in the eventual expansion pack you could build like tombs in the valley of the kings and it's just so it's just such a cool love it i love pharaoh if you are interested in playing pharaoh or any of these games they're all available on good old games pharaoh does have some mods that you need to run just in order to get widescreen but it works pretty flawlessly in 2000 impressions games released Cleopatra, Queen of the Nile. Then in 2001, Pharaoh and Cleopatra were bundled together as Pharaoh Gold. Uh, Pharaoh and Cleopatra were very successful, and especially in the German market, it debuted number four on Media Control's game sale charts for the second half of November 1999 and stayed in the top 10 games in Germany to August of 2000. Uh, the combined global sales with Caesar 3 surpassed a million units by July 2000. So overall successful iteration and a fun jaunt away from the Romans to go to do Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Another title that was done in the city-building series of Impressions was Zeus, Master of Olympus, and its expansion, Poseidon, Master of Atlantis. Now, this was released in October of 2000, and Poseidon was released in uh, 2001. This time, it was set in ancient Greek. However, they kind of broke from their traditional Pharaoh and Caesar games by kind of really going off and doing more of an anachronistic mythology type game versus a more realistic game. Now, Pharaoh did have gods that changed things if you pray to them, which is not necessarily realistic, right? Because I don't know. I'm, I wasn't around in ancient Egyptian time, but I, I don't know if praying to Osiris would actually yield me a bountiful harvest. However, in Zeus, Poseidon or Zeus would actually actually come to your city and roam around the city. So it definitely broke from that where it was more Greek cities, but Greek mythology cities, which was also really cool and still felt like an Impressions games with just being like a little more silly. They also included missions in the game to recruit heroes like Hercules to come to your city to slay monsters. So I think one of the first missions in Zeus is you have to recruit Achilles to go and slay Hydra. In my opinion, Zeus was uh, a more simplistic version of the city builders. Uh, however, it was also more succinct. The cities felt a little more larger and a little more colorful and of the gameplay was a little more easier to handle. I definitely recommend, I know I mentioned you could start playing at Caesar 2. If you really want to check out a cool city builder, Zeus is actually a really good place to start. Um, um, it's a really, really fun game. I, I like the the additions of having like the gods just kind of wandering around. You would get Dionysius and he would come into your city and he would make all of your citizens drunk and just walk off with them. Oh, look at all these happy people. More wine would make them even happier. And like, it was just like, or Ares would come. And if you were uh, friends with Ares, he would just kill the army that was invading you. And you'd see the little like Ares sprite go over there and, and fight the people directly. So the UI was updated a little bit. This very similar graphics. Poseidon added an adventure editor. However, it was also available online. The, the games always were really like very open in regards to being able to make your own camp, your own missions. Um, and the uh, Poseidon included additional campaigns and all, both the like Cleopatra and Poseidon had um, more buildings and campaigns and all that. So the sixth title in the city building series, Emperor Rise of the Middle Kingdom, was released in 2002 for Microsoft Windows. It was created by Breakaway Games, who had actually worked on the expansion pack for Pharaoh, Cleopatra, Queen of the Nile. They they were contracted to work on this game. The game is set in ancient China, specifically during the period of, of the Jia Dynasty to the Songjin Dynasty, which is roughly a period from 2033 BC to... 12,034 AD. 
like in the previous games, you build a city, you maintain the health of the city, and uh, you have to do that by making sure your population is well-fed, healthy, and safe. Uh, you, as, as a player in the game, you must maintain taxes, trade, and do all the other necessary facets of operating a, a city. You also can make offerings to ancestral heroes. So when you make an offering to an ancestral hero, that hero might like you. And they may come to your city and provide you benefits and bonuses. However, if they are not happy with your offering, they might cause problems, such as natural disasters or other things that could cause your city damage. And as the other games have have featured, you also have to fight invaders who who don't like your city because they are invaders and they don't they don't want your city around. In the game, you're also tasked with building monuments such as the Great Wall of China, the Grand Canal, and the Terracotta Army. By the time you reach the final levels of the game, you are tasked with constructing what is now Beijing at the time known as Zhengdu and protecting it from Genghis Khan. So that's pretty cool. A little bit of history lesson. The the game was fairly well received, but was also criticized for just a lack of originality. So this game came out in, in 2002. I think probably by 2002, people were starting to see the formula of some of these games and were thinking to themselves, well, this is great, but what makes this different than the last is four right five games that we played so i have played a little bit of emperor rise of the middle kingdom though i've only played it um within the last five years i i didn't actually play it back in 2002 when it came out i was too busy playing uh halo at the time i didn't even realize it came out and then one day i was like wait this is another impressions game so i mean i bought it and i, I played it and i enjoy it it is just it is you know it's another it's if you like the other impression city builder games you're going to like emperor rise in the middle kingdom i would equate it more to like pharaoh versus zeus and poseidon because i don't think it's 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 not as silly when it comes to like zeus just like strolling down the city streets so i mean that's mostly it for impressions however with impressions came its legacy so uh, with all the games that they made they obviously made an impact i i mean that's to say the least considering of how successful all of these games were maybe with the exception of, of emperor the, the 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 emperor rise of the middle kingdom but the rest of the games were certainly well received they certainly were successful games i mean almost good chunk of them made millions in terms of sales and a good chunk of them sold millions in terms of their actual units. So how about their legacy, Seth? So the people themselves at Impressions Games, the game developers, this happens a lot in game development. A game developer will work really well with some other people, and they eventually will, for, for one or the other reasons, end up departing the game development studio. Maybe because the studio got closed down on them, or some other reason. However, they usually migrate as in packs, and they go form other game studios. So do you have all these, like, spiritual successors to game studios? Because they're the same people who have, like, similar ideas of what made their games great, or it's similar nostalgia to the games that they made before, and they want to make more games similar. Uh, so, founded in 2001 by the former Impressions Games lead designer and general manager, Chris Beatrice, was the Tilted Mill. Mm. So the Tilted Mill was built, uh, located in Framingham, Massachusetts. And they, they're, so they're still an active studio. And they, um, so they created some games such as um, Immortal Cities, Children of the Nile, which is set in ancient Egypt. Uh, Caesar 4, the sequel to Caesar 3. SimCity Societies, part of the SimCity franchise. And Nile Online, which is similar to the Immortal Cities Children of the Nile, except online. <laughs> Mortal Cities Children of the Nile and Caesar 4 both are departures from the isometric 2D visuals of Impressions games of the past and end up being more like 3D type styling of games. I don't, I actually don't know. I own Caesar 4. I don't know if I've played a lot of it or any of it. And I have not played Children of the Nile, which I think is a, a slap on the wrist to myself because it's a feral success, a spiritual successor. So I should probably check it out. Yeah. For they also did work on some RPG titles like uh, Hinterlands. So another company separate from Impression Games and Tilted Mill is a company called 
Firefly Studios. Now, Firefly Studios was founded in 1999 by former Impressions employees Simon Bradbury and Eric Ouellette, both of whom met each other at Impression Games and decided that they were going to do this project that they had, which was create this whole new company. So they created Firefly Studios, which is located in London, England. Firefly's first game, for for anyone who might not be familiar with them, is a little title known as Stronghold, which... Like, I mean, enough said. Like, Stronghold probably can get its own episode at this point. Stronghold was a massively successful game and also spawned its own franchise of games with sequels, spinoffs, and actually an upcoming title, Stronghold Warlords, due out this year. The first game, Stronghold, just, you know, plain old Stronghold, was received incredibly favorably um, and ultimately sold around 1.5 million copies by 2004. Only in a three-year um, you know, time span, it sold upward to 1.5 million. The game received a silver rating from the Entertainment and Leisure Software Publishers Association in England for reaching 100,000 copies sold in the UK, and it received a platinum um, rating from the Verband der Unterhaltungssoftware Deutschland, which is is a very similar organization to the Entertainment and Leisure Software Publishers Association. It's just like the German version. Stronghold received a platinum from them for reaching 200,000 copies sold in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. What I think is kind of hilarious, though, is that that year in 2001, they originally awarded the gold rating for reaching 100,000 units sold in those countries. However, uh, Verband der Unterhaltungs software of Deutschland, they had to reissue the award as a platinum because by the time they were giving them the gold, they had already outsold the 100,000 that they sold. So they were already in the 200,000s, which is a whole nother ranking. So they were like, oh, you guys are better than we thought. Here's another, here's another award. So in the same year, they got the platinum, uh, which I just think is great. You know, they were they were doing great, and they did even better. There has also been games that were not done by Impressions, former Impressions people, um, that were still in the city builder type of genre, such as Nebuchadnezzar, which takes place in a, a Mesopotamian type of campaign, and Builders of Egypt, a prologue, which is an upcoming spiritual successor to Pharaoh. Um, there is also like a Pharaoh... HD remastered that's coming out later this year um and so there's all still a lot of like I guess love for the uh city building games perhaps we're moving into more nostalgia territory which can also sell on itself but however it is it's it's good to see that this stuff is kind of coming along and resurrecting a one of one of my particular favorite genres of video games that's it it's impressions uh so now we'll just go on over to our buy wait pass and we'll talk about games that we're excited about buying waiting or passing on. Seth, do you mean the boopa the boopa now so for my buy wait pass i'm going to talk about a game called star scraper now this is a game by mitchell garrett and jonathan kq and you essentially build a, a tower like a skyscraper you have to pretty much you know manage it kind of like a city builder you have to manage your income your utility costs and you have to build it higher and higher you essentially use different mechanics of the game to build up um, stock and wet net worth to be able to get more money to invest more into your tower to build higher and you can build like fun rooms in it and you can according to the description of the game build your tower past the height of the clouds and when i looked at it i was like that looks a lot like sim tower which was a game that was released by maxis back in the day where you build a skyscraper and this game looks like very similar type of graphics that and maybe a little bit more hd or more like modern graphics but still very stylized like a sim tower and it looks like you can have like a really expanded ability to construct versus the sim tower which was uh, limited and you can have this kind of like ability to expand and build some really funny rooms like museums and stuff like that throughout your your skyscraper um it looks it looks fun uh so the game is going to be released or has been released on june 10th so it was just released on june 10th uh, it looks like a, a fun game I'm, I'm gonna pass on it right now i i think that i wanted to bring it up because it looks like a fun game that people may who listen to this podcast enjoy checking it out and looking at it that's um, fair however i i think currently i'm i'm gonna see how i'm feeling when i look at it and it and but i'm definitely gonna put it on my wish list and watch it so we'll put it down as a little old 
passerby. Little passerby. So uh, the game that I am excited about by waiting or passing on is a title called Horizon Forbidden West. Uh, Horizon Forbidden West is the sequel to 2017's Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, the game is set in a post-apocalyptic setting of uh, San Francisco. It looks to be, you know, somewhat similar to the last game, obviously, with a lot of updates in terms of the, the map and, and, and overall design, uh, overall graphics being much improved since the first game came out in 2017 in the game you play as alloy who is the character from the first game she's a woman who comes from this uh, tribe of people who live in post-apocalyptic earth and uh fight robot monsters uh and similar to the first game you learn how to tame and defeat these robot monsters um in this new area of what was san francisco i really really liked the first game actually it was probably one of my favorite games of the year when it came out it was just an utter blast for me to play pun intended because you blow stuff up all the time in that game that that game is all about explosions the first game i think perfectly encapsulated a combination of open world gameplay and a type of combat that i think is unique to do which is bow and arrow combat which i think for an open world game is something that can be done so incorrectly but for this game it was done so right however i am going to put horizon forbidden west down as a wait because it's going to be a ps5 exclusive for the time now and i don't own a ps5 and neither does most people because it is a hard to get console at the moment so um when i eventually get a ps5 who knows when potentially 30 years down the line when it's a retro system i will pick up horizon forbidden west it'll be probably the first game i get with my ps5 but for the time being i don't have a ps5 so i'm going to be waiting on it um the game is due out sometime this year no actual release date everything i see just says 2021 so it is due out this year they have six months left so hopefully they get it out before that that time period elapses with that that's going to be our episode, our impression, Impressions City You know what, Seth? Episode. That episode left a uh, pretty good impression on me. Oh, with that, I'm going to let you all know how to contact us, listen to us, and support us. So, if you want to contact us, you can send us an email at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. You can also send an email to Seth at Classic Gaming Brothers or Zach at Classic Gaming Brothers, or you can send it to Classic Gaming Brothers at classicgamingbrothers.com, or however you would like. You can also go to our website, which is ClassicGamingBrothers.com, and you can fill out our contact form on that website. It will send us an email. We like receiving feedback, commentary, and all of that from our fans just so that we know that we are producing the stuff that you like to listen to. And if you have ideas for episodes, we'd love to hear them because we will also do episodes for you. Now, if you want to listen to us, you can stay on the website and go over to the lounge. Check out some of the episodes right there in the player. You can also listen to us however you are listening to us currently. You can also search for us in any of the other podcasting apps around. Now, to support us, you're already doing that. You're supporting us by listening to us. And you could send us feedback, which would also support us, because then that would help us know what to make in order to make a better episode for everybody. Beyond that, you can also support us by following us and liking all of us on social media. So we have a Facebook, an Instagram, and a Twitter. Our Facebook and Instagram are Classic Gaming Brothers, and our Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. And we are also on Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash Classic Gaming Brothers. You can follow us on all those social medias, and you can ring listen ring bells notify all that stuff make sure that um you are up to date on all classic gaming brothers content we are a little lack right now lax on content right now which i say this now even though it's going to always be in the past forever so maybe we're not lax on content by the time that you listen to this lax on however at the time of recording we are pretty lax on content. So we're going to work on that. So we, we, I definitely, I feel like we are obligated to be a little more active on social media and also possibly Twitch. But anyway, regardless, we, you follow us and like us and tell three of your friends, let them know that they should listen to us. If you are back commuting to the office, enjoy us. We'll be there for you on Monday and you can listen to the episode on your way in. Uh, as that's, I feel like personally, my personal opinion is that we are a great drive time podcast because you Heck know what? Yeah. We're just really good for that background noise. You don't need to pay attention to 100% of our content because usually it is uh, as accurate as possible. And that's it. That's how you can contact us, listen to us and support us. Zach, am I forgetting anything? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. And I've been Seth. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers.
That's right. That's to the marsh I march right. for the reeds I need. <laughs> to the marsh I march for the reeds we need. <laughs>